God's word says this as we start with verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Amen. Please be seated. And Lord, the prayer this morning is that through your Holy Spirit we receive what you have for us from your word. Help me not to mess it up. Lord, but uh, to deliver uh, your word today. Help us, we pray. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the sermon you were going to get was essentially this. God took care of Elijah. You're like Elijah. God will take care of you. Quit worrying. And it was all going to be about that. I, I actually uh, initially was going to take the, the story of the oil where the widow had the two sons and, and she owed the debt, remember, and they kept pouring and all that. And then I said, you know, this one's, this one's intriguing to me, too, with the ravens. Remember, as a little kid, uh, we all heard when I was growing up, we heard, eat your dinner. This is, you know, yeah, I know, I know they said it in, in Ralphie and the BB gun movie, too. But we heard it at our house. Eat your dinner. There's little kids in China that are starving. Eat your dinner. And, and they told us that. 
worry about those little kids on the other side of the world that are starving. They don't have food. You eat your food. And my sister, who was probably four years old, said, can't the birds feed them? <laughs> because she had heard this Bible story, and she just thought that's what happened. Uh, I read, uh, uh, listened to the audio of, of Dave Ramsey's book about uh, finances, uh, getting ready. I, I, I did all of this stuff, and, and my dilemma was going to be this. How do I preach that message without turning it into a Ben Franklin, God helps those who help themselves message. And then something wonderful happened. I got into the text. So thank God. So this is a sermon. There's a couple things that I had that were brand new to me, or at least they were, they were renewing to me. And I cannot wait uh, for you to get this. This is good stuff. So uh, I had a lot of help on this sermon from an old professor of mine. Dr. Davis, if you are reading through, and if you want to read through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, I've got the perfect commentary that he wrote on this. And I said, wow, I've got Dr. Davis on Kings. I've never preached a sermon series through Kings. Uh, Dr. Davis was the guy who, when I was in seminary, um, I was, I'd been out of school for 10 years. So I was an older seminarian. I, I didn't get to be a snack shop theologian and sit around with all the kids discussing, you know, the latest whatever. I, I had two little kids of my own to raise. I worked the midnight shift at UPS. I would get back in at about 2.30 in the morning after loading trucks for these guys. My stomach would be black from sweat. Uh, if there was, remember, dude, you're getting a Dell. All those Dell computers were big in that time. And I'd go up to, to load those Dell computers, and, and, and it, my sweat would mingle with the dust uh, of, of all the years of that building. And to come home, uh, listening on the radio, because there was no thing, I, I would listen to the Cardinals game driving in, because I could get KMOX there in Jackson, Mississippi. It would skip through. And then but I would have to go in before uh, the end of the game. So trying to find the score of the game, all keyed up, have to go home, get a shower, unwind, get three or four hours of sleep, then get up and head to class. And, and that was a hard thing uh, to have that. And I would sit in the very front row with all the Chinese and Korean students. They sat up there because they were brilliant and they were studious and they were hardworking and they wanted to get everything. And, and they'd, they'd kick their little sandals off. And there, there I was. I sat up there only because I said, I know I'm going to sleep in this class. And the only way I can avoid any kind of shame uh, the only way I will not fall asleep is I wouldn't dare to sit right underneath the professor and sleep in class. And you know what I did? Invariably, I slept in class. And I went to Dr. Davis and I said, I am so sorry that I keep doing this. And, and I said, and I gave him a little bit of my, my story. And he said, listen, you guys are my heroes. He said, I don't know how you do that. You come up here with families and you work. He said, it's okay. And I had a lot of help. The, the Koreans would bring me kimchi because I had, knew I had a Korean sister and I liked kimchi. And, and uh, Ina, who was, who was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. She was Chinese-Indonesian. And I, I came across some of her notes. She would let me have copies of her notes that she took. Uh, and, and I got in study groups with those guys. They had all the latest technology. They had the laser printers. And they, they joked with me. My nickname was Dot Matrix. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, they helped me and worked through. And Dr. Davis was kind and wonderful and gracious. And he taught me 25 years ago. And he taught me a lot this week just from the interaction. So um, credit where credit is due. I'm glad I looked at him uh, early on uh, because we get a better more biblical, truer sermon than we would have gotten. So thank God for, for Dr. Davis, wherever you are. Um, it's part of a sermon series called God is Still on the Throne. And this sermon is the first of three, a little subset of how God provides for us, and for his people, physically, as far as their provisions and their food, how God provides for our needs uh, with the physical health, and then with the spiritual, emotional health. And so, uh, without any more introduction, uh, let's get the setting. And four things about God, four things about God this morning from this text that will help us in our walk with God. Here are the four things, if you're going to take notes. God's word can be absent. Secondly, we will see that God's ways can seem strange. Third point, God's goodness is wide. And finally, God's demand can be challenging. That's where we're headed. Now, the circumstances are this, and you have to understand, God's people, God's church, uh, sometimes when I'll read a, a text and I'll, I'll, I'll read a, a confession of sins and we, we, we sing uh, and say God takes care of his Israel. And Israel is the parallel to the, the church. The Old Testament church was, was God's nation of Israel. Uh, New Testament, we see the church, God's people. Not everyone in Israel, just because they were quote-unquote God's people, was right with God. Uh, not all of them were godly, just by virtue of being uh, members of Israel. In the same way with a church, just because it's a church, and somebody's a member of the church or they attend the church, does not make them uh, right with God, not even eternally right. You see God saying to people, many will say to him on judgment day, Lord, Lord, look what I did in your name. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look at my religious actions. I was part of a religious thing that that worshiped the true God. And God will look at them and he will say very scary words I I hope none of you hears. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And so what was happening with God's people, God's Old Testament church, is they had incorporated Baal worship, the idol worship. They'd taken the world around them. Uh, King Ahab was in the line of kings. He married a woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel uh, came and brought her idols in, and Ahab incorporated them. And pretty soon the idols overtook Uh, the worship of the true and living God. This happens in churches, in denominations. Uh, This happens all the time. There's always a need to be vigilant. Just because it says church and just because it says Bible doesn't guarantee that it's not all worldliness that has crept in. Okay? So God's people forsook God in favor of idols. And out of the blue, uh, there's, no, there's no warning. Out of the blue comes this guy named Elijah. 
doesn't give his background. He wasn't a celebrity. He didn't have a podcast. He didn't start an organization. He wasn't. We don't know what he did. Never hear of him until 1 Kings 17.1, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Galahad comes along and says to Ahab, there's going to be a famine in the land. Uh, the famine was a physical famine. It was a famine of no rain. It was a famine of things drying up, of food shrinking. But the other famine that was there in the land that, that God was doing and God has done through history, there was a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. You guys want to reject God? Uh, whether we call it in our language tough love, whatever, uh, go ahead. Maybe you, your parents told you, you're the kid who has to learn the hard way. You know, maybe you said about yourself, I've had to learn the hard way. I wish I had listened, but I didn't listen. And I've learned the hard way. Uh, this is not uncommon. This isn't the only place where this happens. Or I wouldn't have as much confidence to say it. But listen, uh, here's, a, here's a famous one. Amos 8.11. Uh, the prophet Amos said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. What was happening in Israel was wicked. This was the God who saved them. This was the God who gave them the word. This was the God who uh, set worship up to point toward that coming Messiah. Uh, Everything was there for them to see Jesus. And they basically said, uh, this isn't enough. We need Baal, the fertility God. We need a little bit of the world mixed and mingled in. And pretty soon that took over. It's what's happening, I believe, in so many churches and denominations that give lip service to the Bible, but are almost bored with the good news of the gospel. And boy, though, everybody is doing this. This is the age that's coming. We got to do this too. There's many ways that that shows itself. Uh, One way, I think, would be just the Christian celebrityism. I was reading a book with a couple of other little obscure no-name pastors, and we said, boy, that's us. We're, we're nobodies. And, and they're talking about how um, this one initiative that was so biblical and godly did not get approved by the broader evangelical, the good guys, quote-unquote. And, uh, and, and they said, well, the reason is you didn't ask us to be co-signers of this declaration. And if you'd have asked us, we could have helped promote it, and then maybe it would have taken off. And you go, that's so worldly. That's so godless. You've got to have a celebrity uh, to make it true. You've got to have a soundbite from this person. And what happens so many times, uh, those people, you, you start, you, you look at them and you go, they're so great. And then they fall and you're more devastated than if you'd never even looked at them and, 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 and worshipped them. Uh, but that's just one way. It, it's coming. Now, Baal was the god of fertility. And so there were a lot of of uh, bad anti-biblical things, anti-God things happening sexually around the um, worship. Uh, But part of Baal worship was that 
that Baal provided uh, the rain. Baal provided the crops. Baal gave you your things. And you wanted that fertility, God. So if God goes on the attack against the false gods, he's going to show them. You can worship Baal all you want. Because God says there's no rain, Baal can't make it rain. Uh, God has done this throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Take some time to study and and read about the plagues in Egypt. Uh, Each plague was designed to attack the God, a particular God they worshipped. The water to blood, they worshipped that Nile River. God says, I'll show you who's the God of the Nile. They worshipped the sun. Uh, I'll make darkness in the land. Those types of things. And so God knows what the idols are. And in this case, God said, famine in the land to show you you're worshiping a false god. Now, quick practical point. I think I made it a little bit earlier than I, did, than I wanted to. Uh, but Ahab appears to come out of the blue, but he didn't. No, I didn't make this point. I made the point that Ahab was no celebrity. Um, here's where Ahab came out of the blue. Uh, we look and we despair, perhaps, if we're godly, if we're not following Baal ourselves, if we're not tempted to go that way, but we look and we go, what's happening to, the, to my beloved denomination? What's happening to, to Christianity? What's happening to, you know what? God had Elijah prepared all along for that moment, and at the right time when God was ready, God brought him on the scene. We can look and despair ourselves and say, boy, this Christianity it ain't even Christian. What's going on? God knows what's going on. And God's got something happening. He doesn't have to tell us about every Elijah that he's raising up. He doesn't have to tell us that. We just have to see from history that God is, is not surprised where we might be surprised. And God will do what God will do. And so here comes Elijah out of the blue. Don't despair when you look at the state of the world and the church. God is in charge. And just because you don't see that person doesn't mean that God is not preparing and raising up people for our day. So the first thing we see, the first point, as I said, was that God's word can be absent. Verses 2 and 3. And the word, this is after Elijah said there's not going to be rain. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. Okay, so here's the first thing that that had not occurred to me. And I think Dr. Davis is right. What was Elijah hiding from? What was Elijah hiding from? Why did God say, make this declaration and go? Uh, my automatic answer, it's even in our children's worship folder, which I don't think, I, I, think, I think they messed up a little bit on that. It said he was hiding from Ahab. Doesn't, does the text say that? No, we know the rest of the story. And when he, uh, uh, fire came down from heaven and, and, and Elijah had that challenge and Jezebel then was trying to kill him after he, he uh, called down fire from God and he was on the run, then he was hiding from Ahab and Jezebel. But it doesn't say that here. Uh, For all they knew, he was just some crackpot. Wasn't even worth killing when he said that. 
God said, get down there. Uh, my professor said this, and I, and I think he's right the more I thought about it. What was being hidden was the prophet, God's spokesman. This physical famine was a picture, uh, was a, a physical manifestation of the spiritual famine. He had the words of God, and God said, all right, you make your declaration, and then you get out of there and let these people starve physically, spiritually. God withdrew him from his own people. God didn't have to hide him by a brook to protect him. Jesus, uh, in refer- after he referenced this incident in the New Testament, had people so angry they were going to pick up stones to stone him. And the Bible tells us in Luke that Jesus just walked right through them. God didn't have to hide him to protect him. God took him off the scene for a different reason. Nothing happens if God doesn't want it to happen. And if God wants it to happen, nothing can prevent it from happening. We see that here. So this man told the very words of God. Now God has had his people declare words. Uh, He's had you uh, share your faith. He's had you uh, teach your kids. He's had you uh, go. He's He's had mission initiatives. And in the Bible, God's prophets declared words and, and, and God would say ahead of time uh, what would happen. It's different, it's different scenarios. What do I mean? What am I saying? In Isaiah 6, 9 and 10, Isaiah was told to share the word and it said no one would listen. Listen to this. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That's a case where God's word was heard and God said, they're not going to hear, tell them anyway. You might be thinking now of Jesus talking in parables. Uh, and they asked him why he spoke in parables. And he said, because the people I want to hear are going to hear. People I don't want to hear are not going to hear. That's one case. There was another case where God said to his prophet, you go and these people will hear. There will be a great revival. Jonah was one who was sent to Nineveh. And the reason that racist Jonah did not want to go is because the Ninevans were so terrible. He did not want them. He knew what God would do. God would save them. God said, you tell them and there'll be a revival. When God finally had the fish swallow him and spit him out and got him right, exactly what God said would happen and what Jonah feared would happen, happened. In this case, in this case, God said, you say the word and then that word's not, that's it. You, You declare the famine and then the word is hidden for a while. God can do what God can do for God's reasons. And in this case, he was not allowed to throw his pearls before swine. God said, get down by the brook, drink water out of there, probably a nice clear stream. Boy, what did the ravens bring? That's interesting. What kind of food? Bread and meat, it says. 
As a kid, I always pictured like McDonald's package, like a DoorDash or, or whatever you would think now. Uh, they ordered it and, and uh, whatever it was. I, I bet it tasted good. It wasn't just roadkill or whatever they could find, and he had to make the best of it, I, I don't think. What, what did they bring? What if, what if all of a sudden I said, I've got a little surprise for you here? <laughs> and uh, Pat got up and opened the doors, and in fly these ravens with these little things from God. What would it taste like? You ever thought about it? Was, it had to have been nutritious. It, it was healthy. It, it kept him alive. Uh, it, it had to be something. We don't know. But God took care of him. Uh, the main thing that I want you to see in this section is not to see Elijah as a believer in general. Right now, do not relate yourself to Elijah uh, and, and miss the broader point. Don't say, uh, just like God fed Elijah, he'll feed me. Just like Rick read about, don't worry about the sparrows and the clothing. Uh, see Elijah as God's spokesman. See Elijah as God's word. And God kept Elijah alive. God was not hiding the man. He was hiding his word. Practical point right here. I'll read what I wrote because that's probably better than me uh, just saying it. Appreciate what you've got. Absorb what you've got. Increase your Bible intake. While there's food, eat it. If you've got a church that places a high premium on communicating the word of God, and you do have a church that places a high premium, uh, whether, we, whether we hit the mark every time that we're supposed to, but that is the goal of, of our elders and our church. This is, we want to be biblical. God, show us. And if we're wrong, show us. We want to preach the gospel. We want to do it. If you've got a church like that, and you do, then take advantage of it. There may come a time when you'd love to go to the pantry that's overflowing now and eat. There may come a time when the word of God is scarce and you'll wish you could have a Sunday morning in church hearing and seeing and partaking. Don't take what you've got for granted. Didn't the psalmist say, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. There are people dying to hear the word. They are dying to remember it. To be encouraged in a in a congregation, to even read it. Hey, they're equal opportunity persecutors over there in uh, the People's Republic. Hey, Apple, don't put the Koran on the phone and don't put the Bible on the phone. We don't want anybody able to access the Bible. You know what Apple said? Sure. Sure, we'll take the Bible off. We'll keep the Bible from, from getting into the people. There are, there are active governments that want to oppress and keep the Bible out of people's hands. That may happen to you. Store it up. Get some freeze-dried something or other and get ready. Uh, store it up. Soak it in. You may not always be able to eat In addition to the reminder that God's word can be absent, this passage also tells us that God's ways can seem strange. God's ways can seem strange. Who would think the ravens bringing the food? 
Who would think the widow with her little jar of oil and her little thing of flour that never, ever ran out? I've had people that have said, we've been so poor, we've, we've wanted to honor God so much, and, and, and they've referenced and they've said, it's sort of like our, our gas tank in our car. Uh, somehow God miraculously kept enough gas in that car for us to, to run our errands as we've, as we've been poor. Can God do that with oil and wheat? That's bizarre. It's a fairy tale. That never happens. That's anti-science. The science says you can't keep pouring oil and keep having oil. Well, you know what? God created the science, and God can do what God wants to do. And God said, you widow woman with your son, as long as there's a famine, you'll just keep pouring oil, and it'll be there. Say, I can't, I'm not going to believe that. Well, that's your business to not believe it if you don't want to. But here's the thing. If you are a Christian, you already, you can't, you can't not believe the greater miracle that God created the earth. God saw the sinfulness of the earth, and he, he loved, uh, he, he had a love for his people, his people. His, and he came, and he wrote himself into the script, and he became perfectly God, perfectly man. He was tempted like we are, yet without sin. He died on the cross as the perfect substitute, and it was finished, and he saved you. If you believe that, that he rose from the grave, I think it would be easy, if you believe that, hey, I can believe a little oil, can, God can keep making oil come. If God can do all that, I believe all that. It's like if you uh, put a baseball player in front of me, and you said, do you believe this guy can hit 1,000 home runs in his career? And if I really believed it, whatever, for whatever reason, I believed it. And I said, yes, he can hit 1,000 home runs in his career. Do you believe that he can hit a home run out of Wrigley Field on a windy day? No. I'm not going to believe that. Well, wait a minute. If, if I think he's going to hit 1,000 home runs in his career, he's going to put one out of Wrigley Field. That's a lesser thing to believe. Uh, I believe all these things because he told us in his word. You can believe them and not be dumb and anti-science and all that stuff. You want to you mock the gospel and, and that plan? Then mock the rest of it. That's fine. That's your business. And, and you better hope you're right. But if God, if you believe uh, in the gospel message, then it's easy to believe God sent ravens to feed. It's easy to believe that. God's ways, though, can seem strange. God can preserve his people in unexpected ways. God is not limited. God is not limited. Here's the harder thing for me in the text. This is a bigger question. Harder for me to wrap my brain around. Is why Elijah and the widow and the widow's son and not other people too? That's my hard part. Why, if God could do this, why not all the people? Why a famine to begin with? And I look and see the hard times that people go through. And that is, 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 is my question. Okay, so one answer to that question, just briefly, is this. We don't know about everyone else. How did God preserve other people? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible tells us about Elijah. 
and the widow, and the widow's son in this case. We don't know. Maybe other people uh, gathered sticks. Maybe other people had these things. We find out later on in this story that God said there were, what was it, 700 people who never bowed their knee to Baal. God kept them alive somehow. So we don't know. Another answer regarding the ones who starved. Well, once again, I just said the same thing. Point two, we don't know. Uh, I included the food for thought in our worship folder. Uh, this, what a story. I just took one that was, that was readable uh, from the Dust Bowl days. This is our country, not long ago. And I'm like, that man there crying behind his shed, he's, he's a better man than me. He's a hard worker. He's all that. His daughter crying because of no shoes. Uh, and here, you know, we've got a gazillion shoes in, in all of our closets. We trip over shoes. And you go, man... Why? You read stories about Stalingrad where they're eating uh, glue off wallpaper. They're boiling their shoestrings and eating that. Gets around to the dead flesh because they're dying and starving. And you go, why does things like that happen in history? The rats came out to bring food. They'd eat the rats, and they did. I don't know. I don't know. It's in the mind of God. I don't know. I'm not God. I can't tell you why people suffer. There's people that have given good, solid books and explanations, and this is another study for another time. But understand, what we're dealing with here is God taking care of his people at that time. The best answer to me that's comforting to me, and listen to this. Track with me on this. The best answer that, that comforts me is that God keeps his people alive to do his work as long as he has earthly work for them to do. Then he takes his people to heaven where they will never lack for anything when their earthly work is done. God provides. As long as he's got a reason for you to, you can't outlive, you can't worry and add one a day to your life anyway, as long as God's got work for you to do here on earth, and you're his daughter, you're his son, he's going to provide for you. He's not going to go, man, why did she get inoperable brain cancer? I had great plans for her. Now i got to readjust. Uh, Clarence the angel, you'll never get your wings for that. You're fired. Uh, he doesn't do that. God, God knows each of us, and he has us. And he takes care of us and provides for us and puts us where as long as as he wants us to be on this earth. And and what we do as Christians is we give glory to God with our lives. And when it's over, well, we die. And then we go to heaven. And and heaven's uh, words are filled filled with imagery of, of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's feasting and there's light and there's everything good. We don't understand everything that's going on up there, but it's talking about sustenance and and no tears and no night and no sickness and no sin. That's where we're headed. He'll take care of us here for as long as he wants to use us here to bring him glory, which is our chief purpose. So in this case, God still had work for Elijah to do. He kept him alive via unexpected means as long as there was work for him. 
when it was over for Elijah, what did he do? Called the Uber driver from heaven, driving the chariot of fire. Go get, go get Elijah. Elijah steps into that chariot of fire and goes up to heaven. And Elisha saw him. Uh, you don't have to fear. And when it's over for you, that's the best part. That's when the fun begins. And while you're here, God will take care. This helps me not to worry better than that first sermon I was going to preach you. It would help me. Hopefully it helps you. Here's what Dr. Davis said. He said, a great, he said it great. He said, when our task in this life is completed, the Lord takes us away by his chosen means, by sickness or accident or pestilence or starvation. How death comes does not matter to those who recognize death as the Lord's way, for they listen to their Savior when he tells them not to worry about food or drink. While my calling is incomplete, I will be preserved. Some may wish for more, but if you think about it, it's not bad, right? That's that's kind of a nice, pleasant thought. God's got it. God's got my life. God's got my death. God's even got the means of death. Don't have to panic. I don't have to be. I don't have to be coward 19. God's got me. God's in charge. Third, God's goodness is wide. God's goodness is wide. Where the widow lived is important in this text. This is where Bible geography is important. Jesus reminded us about it in Luke. God's, the address of her. She was uh, in Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. She was not an Israelite. She was outside of the church. This widow was outside of the church. Her address, is, uh, as uh, somebody said, she lived in Balesville in Gentile land. She would have been a Baal worshiper. God saved her. God took him to her. God preserved her life in that famine. Jesus referred to this in Luke 4, 24 and 25. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And boy, that made those church people mad. Boy, this is Jesus, this young rabbi come out of nowhere himself, and he's telling us that God's reminding us from what we know from our scriptures, God saved somebody outside of the church. We do not know, and God's mercy is wide. God saves and delivers who God saves and delivers. This widow was chosen by God to house the prophet and stay alive. Practically, what does this mean? Don't give up on praying for anybody. Don't write them off as they'll never accept God. God won't work in their lives. Don't get a little deal in your mind and say, here's the kind of people God saves. Boy, God gets them all from all walks of life. God knows your address as well as the address of some obscure no-name outcast on the other side of the world. I was listening to uh, the jazz station this week was just 
I wanted to listen to jazz a lot. And it's Black History Month, and and they are playing a lot of Miles Davis and people like that, which is good. And there's this guy who I I was not aware of till a couple of years ago. He was kind of a right. Sometimes I hear his music and I go, man, I don't like that. And then sometimes I hear his music, I go, man, this guy's profound. This guy's deep. Gil Scott Heron is his name. Uh, and I, I had a song while I was contemplating this. He wrote a song called Angola, Louisiana, about the prison there and, and bemoaning the prison circumstances. And I was thinking about this widow that God saved. Think about God can reach down into anybody's life, the hardened people. God saves. God is broad. God, God's not limited like we would limit God, like we limit ourselves even. Don't give up on anybody for any reason. Down, uh, getting something out of the refrigerator, and a guy was standing up in front of AA talking, and he said, "He said, well, he said, circumstances brought me into AA. He said, I think I liked it all except that God part. He said, I did not like God. Don't talk to me about God. Don't talk to me." And I stayed there and listened. And his unfolding story was how God revealed Himself, and that's the part now where his trust and faith in God. Uh, that he resisted so strong that he would never, ever... You don't know uh, the people that push the hardest back. Maybe they're even pushing back because God's doing something and they're trying to fight God. You never know. You never know. Don't stereotype and write off anybody. One of our men left his book after Bible study on the table out here. And I had my office. i got to keep my office door open sometimes when AA leaves. For when I like them, some of these guys and, and, and gals come in and they, they talk and they say, hi, pastor, and this and that, and we talk. Talk a lot about baseball. i got a, a Red Sox slash Mets fan, and, and I, I go back and forth with him on, on some things, and there's people. But I had my door open because if I don't, if I keep the door closed, somebody is probably going to lock that door and not see my car out there, and then the alarm's going to get set off, and we test our alarm every now and then and make sure it all works, so that's good but it's no fun. And so I had my door open, and I heard this woman, and she was looking at the book, the, the, the Gentle and Lowly book, and she was reading it to somebody. She said, the heart of Jesus for sufferers and sinners. I need that, she said. I wonder, can I take this book? Is this book here to be taken? And the people around didn't know, and I'm here, and I know whose book it is. It's not, it's not to be taken. We gave all those away. So I remember running out there, and I said, Hey, that, that one's not, that belongs to somebody. I was leaving here in case he came back. But here, take this one. I gave her a hardcover book because we, we, we'd finished our study. You know what? I have no idea. Did she grow up in church? She liked the idea of Jesus having a heart for sufferers and sinners. She identified with herself as a sufferer and sinner. She was obviously in some trouble. She was a young girl. She was obviously, something had made her have to come to these meetings or, or, or prompted something. You know what? God can't save her, can he? No. God delights. We don't know. So we just pray. We just look and we just see. But understand from this passage, one of the lessons is, here's a widow, grew up in Baal worship, and God preserved her life. God had his prophet. The word was hidden from everybody else, but not from her. Every day she heard and saw, and she saw God's deliverance. And we can only, we can only assume from the text that in addition, in addition to the, the physical saving, there was a spiritual saving going on. Uh, I, would, I, would, uh, 
I would, I would bet that with, with everything I own. Listen to this. God reached you when you were his enemy. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Understand, God's goodness is wide. Finally, God's demand can be challenging. He went to her. She's gathering sticks. She's going to have one last meal with her son. And they're going to sit and look at each other until they die. Nothing left. Elijah goes, give me some water. She's going to get in the water. God says, make me a cake. Whoa. Uh, Three little sections here. Assurance and demand. He starts out the same way God did when he appeared to Mary, or when his angel appeared to Mary, when the angel appeared to Joseph, when the angels appeared in the sky. Don't be afraid. That's his first thing. Don't be afraid. There's assurance and there's demand. God does make a challenging demand of us. Follow me. You have the assurance and demand in verse 13. You have the explanation and the promise in verse 14. He encourages her. He promises what God's going to do. This is similar to me, at least at the time I was writing these notes, similar to me when God said to me, uh, or or when, when God showed us where Paul said, I die daily. And part of the Christian life is, is the re-upping and the following God. Then there's obedience and fulfillment. She did obey God's word. And you know what? She didn't go back and magically she had an extra storehouse put in her house and a 25-pound bag of flour and a 10-gallon uh, a great olive oil. No. Every day was that little bit. Every day was that little bit, but it just, it just kept going. And she had our daily bread that day. Spiritually, God gives us our spiritual provision as we need it. Wrap up uh, the body of the sermon before we get to the application. Dr. Davis again. Most of us believers, start over, listen to this. Most of us believers can never get more sophisticated than this Phoenician widow. Some of us may know more apologetics or philosophy or theology than she ever did. But at the end of the day, we find that faith consists in leaning all our weight upon the mere word of God. For all the additional light we may have, we still step over the edge of life onto the brink of eternity with nothing to support us except some word like this one. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. And in the end, for all our spiritual and theological sophistication, it's that little faith of following God that he gives us, and that will sustain us all the way to heaven. Physical famine is serious, but a famine for the word of God in your life is ultimately worse. And I was thinking this, this, don't go on some stupid spiritual hunger strike because you're mad at something you think God did. You're hurting yourself. Feast on the word. Love God. Absorb it. Take that bread of life into yourself. Second, God is not limited by some playbook in providing the physical needs of his people. If he wants to use ravens, fine. Bluebirds, fine. 
I bet if it's Cardinals, it's the best meal ever. But that's just an inside baseball joke. Um, God can do whatever God wants to take care of his people. God's goodness runs far and wide. God loved the world. The one you might consider the farthest out there are not beyond his reach. Don't give up praying for anyone, which is another way of saying don't give up hope. Finally, that demand that he makes that's challenging. Do it. Forsake all and follow Christ who will consistently give your soul daily spiritual food. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for Elijah. Thank you for the ravens. Thank you for the weather. Thank you that you're God. Thank you for the widow. Thank you for the oil. Thank you for everything that your Holy Spirit can teach us as we reflect on this. And help us, Lord, to give us day-to-day strength as we live for you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord 